Millsap, chairman and CEO of Atlanta-based Black Hall Studios, is one of today's top entertainment executives with a vision for Black Hall that's ambitious, energizing, and boundless. Millsap is blazing a trail through the heart of the South and setting his sights on the future of entertainment. Listen and learn as Ryan Millsap journeys through the myriad industries, people, and landscapes that traverse the complex and dynamic world of film production. Well, today we are fortunate to have Andrew Greenberg here. He's the uh, executive director of the Georgia Game Developers Association and a friend of mine uh, for years now. Uh, we're involved in things both inside of DeKalb County here in Georgia and uh, and outside of just the county, but at the state level too. So thanks for being here. Great to be here. Thanks for having me out here, Ryan. I've uh, been really enjoying the developments in our county. I chair the DeKalb Entertainment Commission and serve on the board of our Economic Development Authority. And having a project like Black Hall in the county has meant so much to a lot of people in the area, not just jobs, not just cachet, but this really kind of gem within the county. Well, you know, think about uh, four years ago, what was going on in entertainment in DeKalb County? That's right. We had almost nothing. We had about a half dozen productions that did maybe a few shots out there on some locations, and otherwise it was essentially non-existent. And suddenly there's this incredible, beautiful explosion. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of cool stuff going on. I love what's going on in gaming. Oh, we've been uh, going nonstop here in Georgia as well with that. And, of course, internationally, game development is just huge now. We're talking $130 billion-plus industry, uh, and it's amazing. We think of it as, like, Tokyo and California, but there's so much spread around. Uh, England's got a great game development community. We see it spreading across the country. Now Georgia is the seventh largest in the in the United States, and we've got these incredible esports games like uh, Smite and Paladins, and we've got some great smaller-level games, these indie studios, these really large AAA studios. It's a great mix. There are now about 160 studios around the state. So a lot of people listening to this podcast are from all over the world, and... Um a lot of them don't know a lot about gaming. Will you paint a little bit of a picture geographically? Like, tell me a story about the evolution of gaming from a city's standpoint, from a social standpoint. Like, just just tell me a story and paint me a picture as somebody who maybe doesn't have as much background. I, I, I actually know quite a bit about gaming, and I love it, but I know that I have lots of friends. This is a complete mystery to them, this idea of gaming. Well, the amazing thing now is that 20 years ago, we would have thought that maybe, I don't know, 50% of your listeners were gamers, but now we know it's the overwhelming majority of your listeners. The people listening to me right now play something, and they grew up playing something, and they love playing something. It's a part of their childhood. It's part of their teen years. It's really a part of their college years, and it's maintained that role. It has become this uh, key entertainment demographic graphic within within the industry and around the world. So we see it starting with Pong out in uh, California, out in uh, the uh, Bay Area long, long ago, Nolan Bushnell and his team getting things going. And it started really concentrated in a few sectors. So back in 1991, I started going to the uh, Computer Game Development Conference, CGDC, out on the West Coast. I was one of the very few East Coast people coming on out to this event. But even then, it was starting to grow. But there was still this view that it was just these few techies out on the West Coast uh, making it happen. 
But now we're seeing it spread. And a big part of this was I was a founding member of a group called the Computer Game Development uh, Developers Association, CGDA. It became the IGDA, now the International Game Developers Association. And this is what blows me away. Now we have these robust game development communities, not just in England, not just in Japan, not just in the U.S., but Turkey's got a big one. Egypt has one. We see them throughout Asia now. I love all these developers. So I see stuff coming out of Malaysia now. India's is just growing at a... Uh, massive rate. South America has become phenomenal. And all these people who grew up playing them had all these great ideas for what they wanted to make, and now they can make a living making their dreams come true. And so that's where you're, when you say development and gaming, you're talking about building new games. Every aspect of it, from the art, the music, the coding, the design, the promotion, the community management, there's so many different levels to it now. And it's just great seeing these skills all over the world. What are some of the, what are some of the skills? Because I have, you know, are there people that uh, aren't coders who are having success in gaming? Oh, absolutely. One of the great things for the people listening to this who want to get into game development, we've made the tools so user-friendly now. Tools like Unity, Game Maker, even the Unreal Engine out of the folks in North Carolina. I hate to admit that North Carolina is making great stuff, but they are. <laughs> uh, we're seeing these great tools that anyone can use. And the amazing thing is how many people in film are now using these game development tools. It started for pre-visualization. Set the scene, get the camera angles perfect, get the lighting perfect before you ever made it, uh, before you ever filmed it. And now they're actually starting to be parts of the movies in these game engines. That's incredible. So how, what, is a, what does a game development company look like? Like, what are the layers in that company? How, do, how did somebody take... Um, the, the concept of a new game and get it to actual market. Right, right. So there are these levels of stubbornness. Real stubbornness and willing to just keep pounding your head against all notes. Uh, there are, <laughs> Sounds like all entrepreneurship. <laughs> that's very true. There are some of the similarities to the film industry. With You have the producer. You have to have someone at the top who's got the vision, who's going to hold the whole project together, make it work. We, I like to joke that that's the person who puts his feet up on the table and tells everyone else what to do, but it's not. They are as head down in it as anyone and really have to maintain the vision. And just like in film, there has to be one person who really holds the vision together for everything everybody involved in it. And you'll have a lead designer. It might be that person. It might be the producer. It might be a director. Something like that. But somebody's got to do it just like they do in film. Is that guy like the business guy? Like So in film, a producer is really like a project manager. right? Once, once the film has been greenlit and sent to production, the guy who's the line producer, who's in charge of the movie, is really a project manager. Officially, it is the producer. But one of the differences in games is that the producers will be head down on a number of different projects at a time. I mean, you have the joke about the Hollywood producer who's got a dozen things going on, but really it's a dozen things that are still at the lunch table conversation level and one thing that's in production. In games, they're all at some level of production along the whole time. So sometimes it's the producer, sometimes it's the designer. I've seen projects where it's been an audio person really holding that sort of lead and putting it all together. The audio games, you, you're kind of your rock uh, band and guitar heroes and others. We did one here called Voice Ball, where it was just amazing. You used your voice to control a ball going back and forth. And uh, so you have an audio person really in the lead. So it can, it can vary within the industry. Uh, and, but there are these skills that then vary. You have to have someone who really understands design, the user interface. What's the user experience going to be? UX, UI, 
parts of it. You have to have people who can do that programming, do the artificial intelligence. I love artificial intelligence design. I hate programming it. I love telling other people what to do when the uh, bots are supposed to be running around, when they run away, when they take cover, how they fire, when they pick up guns, all that kind of stuff. That's great to define, let someone else do. Uh, But uh, you have those coders, you have the artists of all different kinds. Someone has to do the concept art, the beautiful pictures that start the whole vision. If you're doing a 3D game, someone then builds the model of it. No no color or anything, just this... uh, this body for the robot, for the people, for the dinosaurs, whatever you're doing. My, my games are spaceships. You have a texture artist who really just paints the colors on them and layers the skin, the uniforms, everything else. Then you have the animator, the rigger, who makes it all move, and hopefully the shoulder or the arm isn't moving out a foot away from the body as it's running across the uh, open field. Uh, and uh, then you'll throw it over a technical artist, perhaps to incorporate it, integrate it into the game itself. You'll have the level designers who are making sure that... Uh, there are cool things to do and that you don't accidentally run through a wall and fall through the earth and break the game along the way. You'll have a test team going through it. So there are some phenomenal differences from, uh, from film and TV, but there are also definite similarities. And this project, my games generally take uh, 12 to 18 months. Some teams can crank them out in six or less and have a great project. Some games take years and years and years, and that's when the uh, frustration can get can come into it. I'm sure there's no one who's worked on films for years and years and years. Well, that's not. I mean, <laughs> it depends on which part of the working you mean. Once it's gone into to uh, actual production, there's usually a timeline, but sometimes it runs over, and obviously it runs over budget. Um, the the long time horizons come sometimes on the pre development, right? Where somebody's like, "Man, I've been working on that movie for ten years." That whole concepting phase, the concepting phase. Forever. Yeah, we have that in the game industry too. So in in the entertainment industry, when you're making a movie that has any you know decent scale, a fifty to one hundred fifty million dollar movie, let's say, you generally need about three hundred people on that crew to make that movie start to finish. How does that does that translate similarly in so gaming? So Supercell is a pretty well-known game development company out of Scandinavia. Billions upon billions in revenue. About 300 people in the entire company, 350 maybe. The entire so, <laughs> And they're making billions off of their games. So it can vary uh, dramatically. So the hugest games, you will have hundreds and hundreds of people working on them over years and years and years. But a lot of games are going to be um, 10 to 12, something like that. 100 is a good big size team making a, a good AAA uh, game And the interesting part about what we do then is you keep the game alive. Not only do you launch it now, I used to just launch them, sell them in Target, GameStop, Software, etc., Electronic Boutique, and forget about them after like one patch. Now the game stays alive and you're constantly creating new content for a game that's been out for 10 years. And this is part of the economic development side of games is that these evergreen products just keep generating revenue for the company, for the location, keep generating new salaries, keep bringing new people into the industry, and then start rolling out these new teams who go off and make their own games. Now they've got this experience, and we've seen that here in Georgia. You know, when you said that these guys make billions and billions, it made me think, I can't name one gaming billionaire, but you probably can. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah, who are yeah, some so. of the gaming billionaires that we just the rest of us don't know about? So, And the funniest part about it is... Uh, it's not always <laughs> the games that do it. There used to be the old joke that how do you make a small fortune in game development? You start with a large fortune. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had the same joke for. They, for they say that they say that about <laughs> horse racing. You know. They but, say uh, that about the auto racing. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of sports that. 
Right, right. So I, I talked about the supercell folks. But um, the, the classic example, there's a, a game uh, called Counter-Strike and Half-Life. These became very successful. There's a company called Valve did great games. And suddenly they created the distribution platform for games called Steam. And the founder of that's a legitimate billionaire, but again, he's doing, he created good games, but now he's doing it off of the... Uh, What's his name? Uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting. We got Tim Sweeney, who's over at Epic Games. They've got Fortnite. Uh, okay, and so Tim Sweeney is a gaming billionaire. Right, 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 right. I'll, uh, Not I'll obviously a household name yet. Right. Though so, his games, Fortnite and... Well, uh, Fortnite's obviously a, ha- you know, a, a household name. Yep. And most of these are public companies so, or have been bought by larger companies. So we think of this great game, League of Legends, that a company called Riot Games makes out in California. They're now primarily owned by Tencent out of China, which is uh, mm. doing some incredible uh, projects as well. Electronic Arts does Madden. So here's a game you can be seeing making billions, but it's owned by this much larger uh, publicly traded company. So a lot of the billionaires, the folks who got in and made these companies, the uh, Nolan Bushnells who founded... Um, the entire industry, Lewis Castles over at Westwood, the folks who started Blizzard and the like, got out of there with a lot of money, but they went public before the billions rolled on in. So we're still... Cre- oh, the other more famous billionaire is the uh, the creator of Minecraft, who sold his to uh, to Microsoft for a huge amount of money and then spent a few hundred million of what he brought in outbidding Beyonce for a house. Wow. <laughs> Just to show he could do it. Well, you know, you got to know what you want to do with your money. You know, I'll tell you a funny story about Blizzard. When years ago I had an office in Orange County in California, and we were a growing company, and so one of the guys in our company had to go take some temporary office space on another floor of the building because we were just running out of space. And he had a, had a, um, a cube next to a bunch of guys that were yet really young <laughs> and he watched them for months. Basically it seemed like they were just screwing off every day for hours <laughs> and hours and hours. And he finally stopped him one day and he said, God, you guys just screw off all day. What do you do over there? And he said, well, we run a gaming company. He said, really? What's it called? He said, Blizzard Entertainment. <laughs> it was the early, early Blizzard. And uh, those are the guys that I think I guess sold out later. But yeah. And haven't yeah. known Bill Roper and the rest. They were screwing off most of it. Yeah, that's what, that's what he said. The first Warcraft was a great game. They did an excellent job taking some innovative techniques and really refining them nicely. Tell me about some of the, the, the best gaming stories going on in Georgia today. The best known is a company called Hi-Rez Studios that has created Smite Paladins, these giant esports games, and we've been doing esports uh, competitions with them under the Georgia Esports League and the Southern Interactive Entertainment Game Expo f- uh, since the uh, since I guess 2012 was the first one we put on with them. And it's this great story of this is a company that started with a game called Global Agenda that I helped them on. It didn't do that well, but it kept them going. They did their second game. They bought a license called Tribes. Did good things with it. Wasn't bringing a huge amount of money. And with games, it's never the first one. It's rarely the first one that makes you all your money. It's when you refine what you're doing and you come out with that third, fourth. Uh, the classic example is Angry Birds, the uh, Rovio had done like a dozen, I, I don't know the exact number, about a dozen games, and they were doing all right, but suddenly Angry Birds comes out, and now it's Disney level. So it's, it's that classic story. You have to do a few of these, get them going, get your skills going, persevere. I'll talk about the stubbornness. That perseverance is a key, one of the most important skills. That communication, two most important skills in game development. And um, and then there's they, they come out with Smite, and it hits at the right time. It's this great game where you get to play gods battling each other for... Uh, 
for bragging rights, essentially, gods and goddesses. And it does well, and it's continued to do well, and they continue to create more gods for it, and they're not making them up. They're plumbing, plumbing them out of real uh, human history, and people really love that. So you've got the, the Indian mythos brought in, you've got the uh, Norse mythos and so forth, and uh, this makes for this great combination, and people can always find... There, there are these ancient stories, these ancient legends that still speak to us, and they can now put them in a game, and people have a lot of fun with them. So that's been uh, the big classic example. Tripwire Interactive is another example of that small studio. Started out as four people, uh, did a game called Red Orchestra, a real fun uh, World War II fighting game, but not a huge success. A success. Let them keep going and make another game. They finally do Killing Floor, the zombie killer, which just explodes, literally and figuratively. And uh, suddenly they're doing great uh, business, and there are almost 100 people here in Georgia from that original four. High res has gone from the original uh, five to uh, almost 500 people now, and they're spinning off companies. So this company, uh, Blue Mammoth, came out of them. There's now this esports production company, Skillshot, that's doing great things. It came out from within their doors, and it's one of those stories you'd love to see, a successful company spinning off more successful, innovative, groundbreaking companies. What needs to happen in Georgia to nurture this environment and see it grow? The state has been very forward-thinking in this. We know about the... uh, tax credit the state uh, put into effect to bring the film industry here and has created such a wonderful creative surge within the state. That same tax credit applied to game development and kept that going. Unfortunately, there are limits to the game development tax credit you don't see on the film one. So that's stifling growth a little bit. But that tax credit served significantly to build up these companies. They could afford to have a few eh games because the tax credit would bring them along until they suddenly have their big hits. And that uh, we see the significance of that both for film, for games, and now post-production in other areas. We're seeing that kind of forward thinking going into esports as well. So a big part of it is building up that community developers. Part of why California and Tokyo have the great reputations they did is they fostered this communicate this. Uh, community of developers that just kept going and kept going and could support each other after fails. And when a company failed, they would all hire the people from that and say, get to work on our projects. <laughs> so we're starting to see that now. Uh, that community is here where if a studio doesn't do well, other studios will grab those people. People can come from elsewhere because they know they can stay in the state and succeed. We're seeing the companies starting to nurture the next level of talent out of the universities. That's a big part of it. The talent level uh, is is significant. Anyone can get into this industry, but you have to stay in it to develop those skills that really make you a a great game developer. So having that mentorship, having that opportunity is a big plus to it. Seeing the state work to expand computer programming education, the arts in general. I mean, we need artists as much as we need programmers. We need music and audio engineers as much as we need the coders. Seeing all of these areas starting to be nurtured again at the schools is a critical component. And seeing the colleges and groups like the Georgia Film Academy jump on that, it's a a tremendous opportunity. What's the Georgia Film Academy doing with gaming? The Georgia Film Academy has looked into how it can work with gaming like it can in other areas. And the idea of post-production and esports production are all aspects that can work well under the Georgia Film Academy model. So uh, the hope is to have them take their wonderful skill set of bringing non-traditional students into creative industries apply the same way. So esports production, similar in many ways to film production in that you need the camera operators, you need the audio folks, but you also need the people who can uh, understand the community and interact with the community during the live stream. And uh, you need folks who understand the games. We have the folks who watch the games and feed in the games into the, into the live stream that's going out. We need those sort of skill sets. Esports is an 
ex, uh, I've used the word explosive too many times. Let's say rapidly growing. Rapidly growing. Area. And uh, we, Georgia's already one of the hubs for that. Some of the biggest events are happening here, and we hope to see more and more of those, and we need those core skills. And all of these areas fold right back into what you and I have been talking about, what about economic development, having these great companies that can stick around and do great things and attract great people to keep working with them. That's exactly what every community needs. Let's say that I could give you a magic wand. Thank you. Right? That's a nice-looking one. <laughs> you all can't see it, but it's awesome. What are the BH initials? It has, it has incredible powers, <laughs> this magic wand. You can wave it. And the next five years will look like however you imagine for gaming in Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. What, what happens over the next five years? We get the investment community getting even more involved in supporting these great little indie studios that have one or two successes, help them get past that third or fourth hump, which is when their really successful games start coming out. So we need more capital. There is, there's definitely the need for more capital. Mm -hmm. We have uh, more great spaces for them to work out of, more great locations. We have... a. Okay, so hold on. So, is anybody brokering that capital today? Like, are there any good investment bankers? Like, if you're a if you're a game developer and you need money, is there anybody you can call and say, "Hey, could you help me find this money?" And that person actually knows how to go out and harvest the money from the investors. The interesting thing is that groups like Silicon Valley Bank and others of that will do that well out in California. We haven't seen them apply that same skill set here. So, no, the. In the Georgia Game Developers Association, we have an investment conference. We bring out some of the best investors around, the Atlanta Technology Angels and others, to look at great projects. Our past uh, winners of the investment conference have been going on to great things. They're developing these companies. They're getting great levels of investment now. But the same focus isn't on this that you see on other areas. That's what we're hoping to bring in. Georgia's got this great tech industry now. But folks are very used to the B2B business-to-business -business side of it. They're not used to the business-to-consumer side of it. So we've all got all these great businesses focusing on businesses. We need more businesses and investors who focus on that incredible return you can get from consumers. Well, and if there are any young entrepreneurs out there searching for ideas in, in places where there's new opportunity, clearly there's an opportunity for somebody to step in and be a capital allocator, a capital resource, somebody who can gather capital investors together and start to funnel them to the best gaming developers and become that little mini investment bank. That's absolutely right. And we've seen great returns for folks who have done this in the past. I mentioned uh, Riot. A lot of the former Blizzard folks went there and they got some investors to help them out. And then that sold for a tremendous uh, amount of money. Supercell is one of those other great stories of how to succeed. And that was a, had some government support as well as the the private side so yeah there's a lot of ways to get a piece of that 130 150 billion dollar industry so the next thing you said was they need more space now that's my expertise right tell me what kind of space they need maybe i can build it i i want to see more of those uh, locations that bring all the creative industries together because they are merging together with the skills and the technology that are used i talked before about how unity and unreal were used for prevision now are being used for the actual game implementation we're seeing more of the post-production tools being used the audio post-production is almost exactly the same same skill set though there are different philosophies on how you implement it wait so do you think i should be building some sort of gaming campus in a in, in that's attached to the second phase of Black Hall Studios in Atlanta? Oh, absolutely. And live streaming is a part of that. I mean, we already know that streaming is the medium of the 21st century. No denying that. Live streaming is the next key component. And it's already huge with Twitch and YouTube and uh, uh, and Mixer and, other, and Facebook Live. But we're seeing 
uh, the demand for that continue to grow almost exponentially. More and more people, both live streaming, creating content, and absorbing that content. And I think it's just going to be a natural fit for any studio space to start working on pushing out that sort of content as well. Do you think you know what that space would look like? Because I'm going to need some help figuring out how to design it. I think there's some great examples now, but it can be done even better because uh, a lot of the fun of live streaming, I mean, for the fun of podcasting, you're bringing really cool people together to do something really interesting, not the usual mix of skills and, um, and speakers you would expect and letting very cool things come out of it. And uh, right now, the most popular area for live streaming is game viewing. I mean, these, these massive uh, uh, streams that are seen by millions of people that are pretty much concurrently. And uh, it, creating facilities where they can do that in innovative ways. You've got the various recording areas, you've got the green screen areas, and so on. But really focused on pulling in that community at the same time so that the folks who are basically creating the content are also getting content from that live stream. Someone's or they themselves are seeing what the chat's doing and they are able to respond almost immediately to what their viewers want to see. This is really my vision of the interactive entertainment, having that audience at the same time letting you know what they want to see. Okay, so you need more money. The industry needs more money. The industry needs better space. Anything else that magic wand needs to wave and make? Still need to be training the people. We still need all these training programs to get the great folks out there. We're, we're so afraid of the shortfalls in talent here in Georgia because there's such demand right now. We keep needing to bring them in and get them the mentors. I love it. Well, Andrew, thank you for being here today. Do you have social media or anything? That I people do. Can people can follow the Georgia Game Developers Association on Twitter at GGDA underscore. Org. I'm H-D-I Andrew, H-D-I-A-N-D-R-E-W. My company that I even go bragging about is Holistic Design Incorporated, but you can find me on Twitter. And, of course, uh, you can find uh, the Georgia Game Developers Association on Facebook. Very active communities there. Well, thank you for being here today. This has been enlightening and fun for me. Yeah, always a great time, right? Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for listening to the Black Hall Studios podcast with Ryan Millsap. We want to hear from you. Find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify. And follow us on Instagram at at Black Hall Studios and at Ryan.Millsap. Millsap.